chapter 15. And we'll get started here this morning. We've been talking about Paul's love language, and uh, we've been uh, with the idea of walking toward one another. And uh, we've started here in Romans 12, the first two verses, as our uh, baseline, as our starting point. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we've been approaching this from the renewed mind aspect, from the aspect of operating and functioning as who we are in Christ. And as we've been doing that, we started by, uh, hold on, uh, look over at Philippians 2. We started by looking at the, the, the first of the love language, the, the word esteem. This word esteem is only used two times by Paul. Philippians 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Again, see that issue of mind, renewing your mind, the thinking process. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And the other passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 where that word is used and, and holding those that are over you in, 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 in esteem very highly. And that issue of, of coming in and thinking highly, esteeming others better than themselves. Thinking of the other person before you think about your, what's their, what is good for them. And let that be the motivation. Now that only comes from a renewed mindset. Then we talked about, then we went to the conclusion, the end of the commandment, charity. Now, charity is, an, is a big word, it's a big topic, it's a big thing, and it really sits in the books on godliness, God-likeness. So when you think about charity, you're thinking about valuing and esteeming each other the way God does. God-likeness, how does God think about this? How does God value that other person? How does God value and think about what's going on? And let's have that aspect, that mindset, come into every detail of our life. And that's really the end of the commandment, out of a pure heart, a faith unfeigned, and so forth, and a good conscience. And when you do that, you've come down a walk, and that walk towards one another, that movement there. Then we talked about the issue of love. I guess I should have drew my guy, but we'll get there in just a second. Then we talked about the issue of loving one another and the issue of brotherly love and the agape and phileo. And you can ha have a warm feeling towards each other that is motivated, that comes from a valuing and esteeming them the way God does, that charity. And that, that, that issue then is something deeper than just saying, I love you, and hugging somebody, or saying hello to someone. It comes from a, they are family. They're part, we're part of the same family. And blood gets thicker than water when it comes to things, and, and that issue, that, that's that motivation, that mindset. And then last time we talked about judge, we're not to judge one another, but we're to admonish one another. And again, that the issue there is not who's right, and the, the issue isn't really who's wrong, but really it's how we relate with each other. We don't going to bite and devour one another. We looked in Galatians, which is a result of judging one another, of, of casting a condemnation on someone. 
the proper mindset towards each other is to love, to admonish. Human viewpoint says judge them out, convict them, condemn them. And we're to operate not on human viewpoint, but rather on divine viewpoint. And that's where the admonishment comes in. And that issue of Galatians 6.1, where if you find someone overtaken in a fault, and you come, you which are spiritual, and you come in meekness and with tears, and it's something that you begin to, to think about, that issue of admonishing. 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says you admonish him as a brother, not as an enemy, but as a brother. So there's a mindset about admonishment, and that issue of admonishment is simply to warn them in order to change their behavior. They have bad behavior going on. And when you begin to do that, what begins to happen now is this next set of one another's. And that is the issue of forbearing one another and forgiving one another. But you'll notice that they are set in Ephesians 4. So come over to Ephesians 4 and Colossians chapter 3. Because in Ephesians 4... And in Colossians 3, we're, not, we're, not, we're no longer in Romans, if you notice. We've advanced. So here we are. We have our, our walk in our life. And we're beginning to grow. And we're beginning to learn. And we're beginning to, to see this issue of the one another. And things are happening. Things are going along. And quarrels pop up disagreements pop up, because they do. It's a natural thing. Let's read Ephesians 4 first. I'm get ahead of myself. Look at verse 2. Ephesians 4, 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another, notice, in love. Forbearing one another. Uh, holding back, for, that issue of forbear is to hold back, to restrain from acting on it. You know? <laughs> If I, if I see that, again, I'm going to pop him in the head. You know, it's no, we're going to forbear. We're going to restrain. Verse 32, Ephesians 4, 32. This is a verse growing up as a young man that I must have written a thousand or times or better as punishment for, beating the, for me and my brothers arguing and fighting. My dad, when we got bigger than my dad, uh, he would tell me, uh, Ephesians 4, 32, hundred times, let's go. And I'm like, oh, man, really? And I had to have, you had to have caps right, punctuation right, spacing right. You couldn't have it just, you know how you'd write one-liner? You couldn't, it had to be right, okay? And you know what he did? He would look at every 100 of them to make sure. You know, and by the way, you know how you know? You test him. You leave one with no punctuation in it, see if he catches it, right? Yeah? And guess what happened when he caught it? Another 100 times, please. Dad, the ball game. Hundred times you're missing the ball game, you know. So what is it? And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Isn't that it? Being kind, tender-hearted, brotherly love, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Colossians three, verse thirteen, three thirteen. The sister verse, encapitalizes both of them. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Again, we are going to quarrel. How do you know that? Verse 13 says you are. 
But then when we do, what's our mindset? How are we to deal then with each other? What's the admonishment? What's going to happen? So go back to Ephesians 4, and let's just spend some time looking at these two verses and looking at some things that are here and that need to be, to be recognized and to be understood. Ephesians 4 and verse number 32. Ephesians 4 and verse number 32. Um, if you want to cut that in half, there's two there for the handout. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Oh, careful, careful. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The issue of forgiveness, the issue of forbearance, carries a lot with it, honestly. But notice how this verse ends. Because the issue of forgiveness... You, you, can, you practice this in your relationships with other believers. You can't practice this in its truest nature and its truest intent with unbelievers, okay? Because with a believer, what do they know? They know what you know. They understand what it is to be forgiven. Look at how verse 32 end, ends. For Christ, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath what? forgiven you. How did Christ forgive you? That's the question. That's the measure of our forgiving. That is the measuring of our forbearance. He forbear you. He, he held back his wrath. Where did he forgive you? Calvary, the cross. What did he forgive? Your sin, your offense to him. You have offended him. And you understand that. As, what, what does he do with your sins? Psalm says he, he puts them behind him, doesn't even look at them. They're as far as the east from the west. They're out of sight. He went over and drops them in the sea. Now, that isn't bearing the hatchet half in and half out to pull it out later to nail you, is it? He never remembers your sin. It's gone completely. So when we start this issue of forgiveness, the issue of forbearance. The exhortation is you know what it is to have been forgiven by the ultimate judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it is. We're his enemies. We were weak. We're ungodly. And yet what did he still do? He still died for you. He still forgave you. Follow that? So when you begin to talk about forgiveness, you have to jettison human viewpoint. What is human viewpoint on forgiveness? I'll remember it for later. And that later could be tomorrow or 10 years or five years or on my deathbed as I'm dying to meet the Lord. See, human viewpoint on forgiveness is it's always there. It's never gone. It's never been dealt with. But yet, what does 432 say? How are we to be tenderhearted? How are we to be forgiving? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath what? How did he forgive you? Completely and totally. He never brings it back up. He never looks at you and says, yeah, did you remember on the 27th of March in 2022 when you did X, Y, you know, whatever? He doesn't say that. He says, come, welcome, you're a child, you're my son. Welcome to the family. 
come over to Colossians 3. So as we talk about forgiveness, the first issue is we've been to Calvary. We know what it is to have been forgiven. We understand that. So now as we deal with one another, what should the renewed mind tell us? We need to function the same way. Follow that? We need to be functioning in his thinking. How does he value and esteem that other person that I'm dealing with? Who, again, like I said, I don't know how to stress it even hard anymore. We're talking about believer to believer. You can forgive unbelievers all day long, but it won't have the same, it doesn't carry the same umph as it does from one member of the, of the body to another because we're all on the same page. Maybe we have to remind the other a little bit, and that's fine. A weaker brother, we did that last time, and that's okay. Look at Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even, I'm sorry, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ, what, forgave you. Now, I love the way 13 ends. So do ye. So also do ye. This is not up for debate. This isn't some forgiveness isn't something of I'm only going to do it on days that end in Y. Uh, it took some of you. No, I'm only going to do it on odd days. I'm not going to do it on the even days. On the even days, I'm out for blood. No, it's what? Well, if he forgave you, how long does his forgiveness last? Chapter 1, verse 14. Notice something here. Notice that the issue of forgiveness and Calvary are closely tied one to another. One fourteen. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the, what? Forgiveness of sins. Where do we have the forgiveness? Calvary, his cross work, his activity. Chapter 2, verse 13. 2.13. And you, being dead in your trust and sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Forgiveness, folks, starts at the cross. That's where it starts. That's, come over to chapter 4. So, as a present possession, you have it right now, his forgiveness. And as you begin to go in life and walk and learn and grow and interact, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a quarrel. You're going to rub up against someone that just doesn't quite jive with you, and you're going to have to figure out how to work it out. That, again, ju don't judge one another. Don't bite and devour. We saw that. What do we do? We come over here. We're trying to think about the best interest in the other person. We're trying to exalt them, better them than myself. You've got this whole mindset. And you know what? By the way, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes you just can't get there. There's a wonderful verse in Romans 12. Hold on. You got Colossians? Let's go there. Let's look at this wonderful verse. Look at Romans 12. Look at Romans 12. Look at Romans 12 and verse 18. Now, we're going to come back into Romans 12 here, but look at verse 18. Because this verse has to be in the back of your thinking as well. If it be possible. Notice the command here. If it be possible. 
as much as lieth, notice, in you. Who's in you? Christ, the doctrine, the growth, what you're doing, right? So live peaceably with all men. Is it possible to live peaceably with all men? Yes. But what happens when I can't? Well, what does it say? If it be possible, what am I to do? Live peaceably. But what happens if I can't? Then in Christ, I can do what? Stay away from them. I can say, you know what? It's best for you to stay there and for me to be here. Why? 1 Thessalonians 5, we're to have peace amongst ourselves. And in order, I mean, we've tried to, we've gone through these steps. I'm going to give you on forgiveness. It just ain't cutting a rug. (laughs) Go back to Colossians 3. So guess what? We're just going to have to separate. We're going to have to just say, it is not a disagree, agree to disagree. It is, you're just going to have to be there and I'm going to be here because we just can't get this fixed at the moment. One day maybe, but right now, what are we looking for? Peace and harmony. Where? In our lives, in the life of the local assembly. Now come back to Colossians 3. Let's get on. What did I tell you? I told you 4, right? Colossians 4. Look at verse 12, if you will. As you begin to put this into your, look look at the prayer here. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in what? All the will of God. Look at that. Well, Rick, I'm already perfect. I'm already complete. But yet not in your walk, you're not. In your walk, what are you doing? You got your good days and you got your bad days. You're struggling. You're trying to, Even the tone out. And what does he say? 3.13. This is how you even out those tones. Here's how you're going to come in, and here's how you're going to take your life and get it underneath the life of godliness that we're designed to have in our understanding, how you're going to take that renewed mind and begin to operate and function it out. How do I do that? I forbear and I forgive. You follow me? All right, 3.13, that end of that verse, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And we need, to, we need to grip the how-to and the what-fors. We need to build some, some understanding into our lives. And we need to build some things about forgiveness and about things on how, to, how are we going to decide things in, in decisions when it comes to a quarrel. Okay? Because that's the context. You're having a quarrel. Why would I have to, why would forgiveness ever be on the table if there wasn't someone at odd with someone else, correct? Okay? There's an argument. There's something going on here. So, notice something here. So also do ye. That reminds me of that verse in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. Did I put that on the overhead? I didn't, did I? Okay. Where he talks about all things are lawful for me, all things are expedient, all things uh, put me in bondage. Remember that verse, how to make decisions in life when, when the word's kind of quiet? All things are what? All right, look at 1 Corinthians 6. I butchered it enough now, so you can, you can see it. 
Don't ever say you don't butcher the verses, because I sure enough do. Notice this. We're thinking about forgiveness. We're thinking about forbearing. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6, verse uh, 12. All things are lawful. Okay? All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Okay? All things are lawful. Notice how he changes it. All things are lawful for me. So there's some things that are for my benefit. You see that? All things are lawful unto me. So the word of God says what? Forbear and forgive. But that, so also do ye, is beneficial for me too. It isn't just saying it to me. That's the unto me. It's also what? For my benefit. You see that? All things, uh, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Okay? Now you run over there to chapter 10 and verse 23. He lists the same three again, but there he talks about at the end edifying others. So there's four aspects to this if you think about it. Okay? You, you, all right? At least I do, so therefore I'm giving it to you. Okay? As you think about this, think about the issue of lawful. What does Colossians, go back to Colossians 3.13 say? What does the book say? What am I to do with forgiveness? I'm to do it. What's it say? So even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Is that what the word says? It's to me, but is it for my benefit? Yes, it is. We'll see that as we go. Okay? The issue here, what God's word on it is, I forgave you, you forget, so you can do it. I did this so you can benefit in doing it in your life. You can take my life that I just had and shed for you, and you can apply it to the details of your life. Okay? So what did he do? Think about you if you've got the handout, or if I, I don't know if it's online or not, but I gave a, a biblical definition. Forgiveness is a decision or a choice, however you want to say it, based on an act of your will, done by faith before God, in which you choose to give up your right to hold another person accountable for the wrong they have done. Now, that's a mouthful, but think about Calvary. What did the son decide to do? What was a choice of his will? To do what? To give up the right to hold you, the sinner, accountable for trespassing his perfect righteousness. That's what he did. You think you got to grasp that. What is forgiveness? Folks, it's a choice of your will, but done by faith. The son believed the word of the father, and off he went. You have to do the same. You have to make a decision of your personal will, your will done by faith before God. You can't do this before your, your spouse, because your spouse is probably the one you're trying to forgive. <laughs> okay? Usually. I didn't get any chuckles on that one. I got a few eye rolls. Okay. All right, thank you, Joe. Okay. 
Any folks, anything short of that definition that I just gave you is not forgiveness. It's human viewpoint. And human viewpoint says, I'm going to do it to you faster than you can do it to me, and I'll never let you forget it. What is true forgiveness? True forgiveness is to come in and say, you know what, before God, on an act of my will done by faith, I'm going to choose to give up my rights to hold another person accountable for that wrong. Well, Rick, you just don't know him. Yeah, but he knew you before Calvary. And yet, what did he do? He did it anyway. You've got to think about that. What does God's word say? So also do ye. It's lawful to me, and it's lawful for me. Because if I do this, there's going to be some peace and tranquility that's going to come. If I don't, I've got turmoil that's raging. All right? Come over to, hold on to Colossians 3, go back to Ephesians 4. Is it expedient? Think about this. Expediency has to do with long-term best interest. It's to me, but is it for me? Is it for my benefit? Is it in a long-term best interest for me to practice forgiveness when I have a quarrel with someone else? That's a, whether it's my spouse or my children. Now, in the children thing, if your mom and dad and they're young enough, you can knock them, but eventually they get old enough to where they're adults. So that relationship changes a degree or three. How do I forgive that kid for not listening to what I told him to do? And he's 45 and married with eight kids, you know, right? Okay. Yeah, wow is right. How, how do you do? Hey, I know guys who still got the thumb on the kid at 45 with eight kids. And it's like, wait, can't do that. How do I do? So is it beneficial to forgive? Yes. But look at 431, just in case you need a verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be what? Put away from you, speaking, I'm sorry, with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Do you see that issue of bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking? You see? What are we to do with that, those attitude sins? We're to do what? We're to put it away, aren't we? We're to send it down the road. We're to do it with all malice, intention. We're to take these. That obviously, the 431 is present in our lives, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We all get there. Nobody's holier than nobody else. It's just how often do you get there? That's the question, really, you know. What happens? Hey, all of that's there. How am I to deal with it? What's it? Is it in my best long-term interest to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving? Yes, because what does that entail? It means I'm putting away some things that should not be there. I'm putting off the deeds of the old man, and I'm putting on the, the new man cre uh, created in the image of him. I'm putting off something over here that's to my detriment. Do you know what it's like to live in bitterness and anger and class? It, is it really good healthy-wise for you? Not usually. Usually you get an ulcer and a canker and you, you, you're ornery and nobody wants to be around you and all that good. Hey, I'd much rather be around someone who's, who's lovely and, you know, joyful, right? Yeah, oh, here he comes again. Oh, he's going to skin my tail again. Here he goes. You know, no. 
is it beneficial? If you've been wronged, think about this now. If you've been wronged, how do you put away verse 31? Because when you're wronged, verse 31 is what creeps up. So how do I deal with it? Verse 32, what do I do with it? I send it to Calvary. I say, hey, he's forgiven me. I know what it is to be forgiven. So you know what I can do? I can be the first to forgive. I don't have to wait for them to come with hat in hand and say, hey, I wronged you. You know what you can say? Hey, you wronged me and I forgive you. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute, a little more. But you see, folks, the key to emotional stability in your life is the issue of forgiveness. Because if you don't have forgiveness, what are you in? Verse 31, you're in bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor. You know what you are? You're all over the chart. You're like that EKG that just can't quit. And you know what God wants your life to be? Not a dead tone, but a straight line. Yeah, not a dead tone. I, I just thought of that. I'm sorry. That's a, that was bad. Please forgive me. Okay. What do you want? You want, a, you want a good tone across there. Okay? Think about this. The list is the op in verse 31, the list is the opposite of forgiveness. And it leads to your emotions running the show. You know, the emotions. And then it causes, tells your body to go do something that after the fact you usually go, man, I wish I hadn't done that. And there's a regret, isn't it? So is forgiveness expedient? Yeah, it is. It brings in some emotional stability. And again, if we don't forgive, then verse 31 is what develops in your life. And it's what begins to run your life. And it begins to take over your thinking. It begins to take over your heart. It begins to take over your will. It begins to run everything. And now I'm striving to be right no matter what. And you're on this emotional roller coaster that was never the design for you. 431 begins to run your life. And it begins to have power over your life. It begins to put you into bondage. And it begins to come over and say, you know what? I'm controlling you. So I don't care what you do. This is your emotions talking to you. You know this, folks. You've been there. You know how I know that? I've been here. I know what this sounds like in my head to come over here and say, you know what, I'm not going to let that guy get away with that. I'm going to nail him to the, to the back wall back there, and I'm going to do it this way. And I got a plan, and I, you know, rawr, and the next thing you know, then you go see him, and you go, oh, hey, how you doing? I love you so much. And then inside, what are you doing? You've done nailed him to the back wall. And you've used eight verses to do it with that back up your position. You go done, you say, hey, great message today, preacher, and off you go. You get in the car, and you go, next time I see him, I'm really going to give it to him. And then what happens? The rest of the week, you've developed eight more verses. So now you got 16. Double's better than, wait, now you got both barrels loaded. And you know what you do? You see him again, and he comes up and hugs on you, and you and he's like, man, what did I do? And yet, two weeks early, three weeks earlier, he had wronged you, but he doesn't know it. Why? Because if I say I've got the problem, who's got the problem? I do. 
So what has happened? Verse 31 runs my life. Now I'm under the power, I'm under the bondage, I'm under the control of something that should never have been there, that gets eliminated by verse 32. You with me? You see how, okay? Folks, this is critical to your life. And again, it's not, it, doesn't, it never says husband and wife or kids or family. It doesn't say that. It just says you run into people, you are not, there's naturally going to be a quarrel. That's going to happen. Unless you're doing what? Unless you're living as who you are in Christ and you're letting that be the dictate in your life. So what is forgiveness? What's it going to look like? Well, what, first, to see what it doesn't look like. First of all, it does not overlook the wrong that was done. Okay? Did Christ overlook your sin? No. What did he do with it? He dealt with it. Forgiveness holds every, all accountable by dealing with the issue successful. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it. Do what? Deal with it. Get it done. And again, the question to ask yourself in your mind is how did God deal with my sin? He didn't run from it. He dealt with it. Forgiveness doesn't, uh, forgiveness is not excusing the wrong. I can't even read my own writing. It doesn't excuse the wrong. It doesn't water it down, if I can say it like that. Oh, he didn't mean it. He was having a bad day. No, it still happened. We're still going to deal with it. When Christ died on the cross, for, this, for man's sin, he died for little old grandma who lived a good life too, didn't he? Just as he died for, you know, whoever the worst guy is and you're thinking, he died for everybody equally, didn't he? So don't water it down. And the last point is don't psychoanalyze the other person to try and figure out why they did what they did to you. We usually do that by saying it wasn't my fault. Somebody, it's, you know, we pass that buck. I, I love that, psychoanalyze. Why did he do this? Why did he, right, right. What kind of person is he? How was, what was his upbringing? Who was his mom and dad? What happened? Right, 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 right. Or dismiss it because he had a different background. Uh, no, don't do that. Do you know why you were wronged? Three-letter word. Sin. That's why you were wronged. You had a quarrel. Something happened. And what did he do at Calvary to your sin? He took care of it, didn't he? So in forgiveness, we need to do something. So what are we going to do? We're going to face the specific wrongs. By the way, don't generalize it. Sometimes we get this idea if we can just throw it in a big category, nobody will be offended. No, offense is on the table. We need to be very specific. By the way, if you generalize it, I'm going to tell you, you really weren't offended. You were just kind of upset that they didn't agree with you to get your way done. And it wasn't really a wrong. It was just you didn't get your way, so I'm going to pitch my little hissy fit with the little kids. No, get specific. What was the specific issue? Because when you deal with the specific issue, 
then you can deal with the wrong and what's going on. So you have to be objective. You have to be honest about the wrong. Again, not why, but what. Okay? Why is sin? (laughs) Pride. What was done? That's the wrong we have to face. Forgiveness does face the fact that the wrong, that it hurts. I know some guys have put this big facade up of tough guy. No, when you're offended, when you've been wronged, genuinely wronged, it hurts. Calvary hurt the Lord. It wasn't a Sunday school picnic. It hurt the Lord. It broke his heart. It broke the Father's heart to have to do what he did for sinful man. It should break your heart. It hurts. And the big issue is at last, and that is, how then do I react to what was done to me? And that's really what this last one is all about. You see, grace sets us free to finally... It sets us free to come to find our own failure. You don't have to tell me where my failure is. I already know it because it's mine. And I know that Calvary has dealt with my failures. Okay? It's my sin. I know that. That's what I'm accountable for. Grace allows me to say that. Grace allows you to say that too. Grace then allows us to come together, recognize it, and be okay with each other. Because what did Calvary do for me? Same thing he did for you. So I know that when you come in and I come and we come together and we both got failures, and yeah, we may rub a little bit and get a little friction going, but ultimately... It isn't the who, it's the what and the why. And you know what you ultimately can say? You know what? Grace forgave me. I can forgive them. And the next thing you know, you are edifying others. You're at peace with one another. Even though there might be an, an issue in the past. Again, all this is done by faith, folks. That's how this is done. If you don't forgive, you literally, come back to Romans 12. I'll give you an illustration. If you don't forgive, you literally bind yourself to that wrong, and it controls your life. And some of you understand that. Some of us here, we have family, I'll just use family, and we can't forgive them for whatever happened 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, two years ago. We just can't get over it. And what does it do? It controls you. But because of who you are in Christ, you are equipped to be a forgiven, a forgiving person. And you need to choose that. Look at Romans 12. Look at verse 19. 
And it's very instructive here that, by the way, we were in Ephesians and Colossians, but we ended up here in Romans, didn't we? Because here's the foundation. Here's the outlay. Look at Romans 12. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. All right? What's the book say? Don't give place to vengeance. It's not your position. Who does vengeance belong to? To the Lord. Now watch verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger. Now I know what usually gets said. That's an unsaved person. I don't believe that. I believe based on Colossians 3.13, if any man have a quarrel with any. That is everybody that, that you think is against you, saved or unsaved. Okay, you follow? Okay. Now let's walk through the verse with that in mind. For uh, if he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now let's think about that. If I have an enemy and he's hungry, what am I to do with that enemy? I'm the feeding. If he's thirsty, with the figures of speech, metaphors, painting a picture here. In other words, when he comes up against me, what am I to do? React in kind or react as who I am in Christ? How about who I am in Christ? Come over to Philemon. Just Philemon. Philemon. Paul is writing the book of Philemon to Philemon about the, his interaction with Onesimus that is coming and uh, what, he, what Paul hopes Philemon will do. If you look there at verse 4, he says, I thank my God without making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That, now watch, the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, be such as one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. And he goes on down. Now, based when he says there in verse 9, Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, you'd better tie that to verse number 6. Because what is his love, Philemon's love? Where is it based? It's based in the effectual communication of the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Philemon, based on who you are in Christ and your understanding of that doctrine, I'm asking you to have a reaction to Onesimus in a certain way here. Philemon, the guy, has every right to do what with Onesimus? Nail him. Because he he's, he's violated the contract. Paul says, hang on a minute. He's no longer your enemy. Has he wronged Philemon? Yes. Is the wrong going to be dealt with? Yes, specifically it is. But Paul comes in and casts a little grace on it. And says, Philemon, heap coals of fire on his head. Philemon, be gracious with him. Be tender with him. Have him communicate to him 
who you are in Christ because that's who he is in Christ. Do that. Overcome evil with what? With good. But what's the good? The good isn't I'm right and you're wrong. The good is the acknowledging of who you are in Christ. Come and do that. Come and take, come and do that with Onesimus. Come and do that, Romans 12, with an enemy. Now, if he's an unsaved guy, what does the unsaved guy need to be? He needs to get saved. So what are you going to dump on his head? A few gospel verses and a few things. But if he sees you overreacting in the wrong manner, Philippians 4.31, is he going to listen to the gospel you're going to talk to him about? Probably not. So then what do you do? If any man's love, has anyone loved you enough to ever ask you where you would spend? Yeah, you wronged me. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I'm going to tell you about the guy who corrects all wrongs, who's fixed every wrong that's ever happened in all of humanity. And, it's a, and then you just walk him right into the gospel. What's that do? That just pulled the anger plug right out of the equation. As a believer, with another believer, what do they need to see? They need to see what he just exhorted Philemon to do in verse 6. Philemon put on display the word working in you. And you know what Onesimus will do? By the way, Philemon does do that in the rest of the chapter. And with Philemon, the reason Philemon sits at the end, as you see this wonderful picture of the capstone of grace, it's called, it's been called, you see Philemon take all of Romans through Titus and put it into action. As a leader of the church there at Laodicea and Colossae, as in leadership, he turns and he deals appropriately and adequately with Onesimus so that we are edifying others even in the wrong. But that's forgiveness. And the only way you can do that is to forgive them on the basis of saying, you know what, it's not an emotion. By the way, forgiveness is not an emotion. If you say, oh, I forgive you, and you got a warm, fuzzy feeling, you're in the wrong boat. You're not in, emotion, you're not in feeling, forgiveness, you're in feelings. <laughs> okay? Forgiveness comes in and says, you know what, we'll deal with the wrong. Because you have to. you got to deal with that. But we're going to deal with it from the perspective of who we are in Christ. And we're going to let that be what rules the day. Again, it's not an emotion. The way you feel will never change until you cause your emotions to come into and be submissive to the will of your heart, which is the doctrine. Then it changes. Then you can go, oh, wow, it's okay, and off you go. Come with me back to Acts 15. One verse, it's not on the list, but it's something that I think about often when thinking about this. Folks, understanding forgiveness, Acts 15. Understanding what it is, understanding that you can forgive because you have been forgiven. So you know what? You need to be the first one to forgive. So here, think about this. You and I have a wrong. You wronged me, I wronged you, whatever. First of all, if I ever did, I, I apologize. I'm sorry. But I don't know if I did, so you better tell me. 
But in, so I know I wronged you. You know you wronged me. And we're going to have a meeting tomorrow at noon to do, work it out. Meanwhile, we're both trying to forgive each other the first. Follow that? Be the first. So now what are we doing? Instead of racing to talk about what really happened, we're racing to forgive each other in Christ. <laughs> so what has happened now when we meet at noon, high noon tomorrow? The tone has what? Lessened completely. Because the, 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 the uh, yeah, the temperature, that's a good word. The, the, the intensity of it is not, I'm going to get him or I'm going to defend myself. It's rather, hey, Christ forgave him. I can forgive him. And you know what? And so we sit down and the first thing out of my mouth is, hey, I forgive you. I don't know what you did to me, but I don't know what I did, but I forgive you. And you say, well, no, I wanted to be first to forgive you. And, and now we got a disagreement about who was first. What has happened to the situation? It's, it's been de-escalated. You see, folks, you know what it is to be forgiven, so you need to be the first to forgive. Again, it's not about looking good or looking weak. It's doing this because it's who you are in Christ, and it's where your thinking process should be. And when you do forgive, you are edifying the individual involved, but then also all those that watch. When you do forgive, you're helping those who have done the wrong. You've held them accountable for what they have done with the goal of restoring back that relationship in the process. In Acts 15, at the end of this chapter, Paul and Barnabas have a heated disagreement to be, to be kind to the text, okay? It, some of it is family. A lot of it, according to Galatians 2, is doctrinal, where they have a, 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 just a knockdown, drag-out family fight in front of everybody. Paul doesn't want John Mark to go. Barnabas does. Barnabas takes him, and off they go. But I want you to notice something in verse 40. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and confirming the churches. Do you see the end of verse 40 there? Being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. That is not them saying, you, Paul, you know, grace be with you, go do your ministry. That's not that at all. What has just happened in the text? Big fight. Family fight. I mean, knock down, druddy, bloody, knuckles are bloodied, fight. Dissension so great that it's carried away Barnabas, Galatians 2. And the brethren there, they look at Paul, and you know what they're, when they recommend him to the grace of God, you know what they're saying to Paul? Paul, you need to treat Barnabas with all the grace that you can. And you just need to go on your way and do. And you know, from that point onward, Paul never takes a pot shot at Barnabas. Paul never talks about Barnabas again. He never goes over down the road and says, hey, all you guys on my side, Barnabas, you know, he doesn't do that. 
You know what he did? He went and dealt with Barnabas in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and said, just as I am in Christ, so is he, and I'm going to let it lie there. And I'm going to let the Lord deal with that. And off he wants. Scripturally, there's no indication that Barnabas and Paul ever talked again. Now, historically, there's some evidence that kind of casts a little different on that, but in Scripture, okay? Why? Not because Paul held an, an angry bone, but because what did the brethren say? You need to move on. You got a job to go do? Go do that. I think about that with the issue of forgiveness. What did Paul do? He made a decision, a decision of his own will, by faith, and who he is in Christ, to look at Barnabas and say, I forgive you, and move on. Not say, I'm right, and you are wrong. By the way, John Mark ends up being profitable to Paul at the end of the ministry. Doesn't say anything. He just says, I love you. That's who we are in Christ, and I'm going. And he takes Silas, and off they go. You see, folks, forgiveness is operating in the divine viewpoint. It's not something done lightly, by the way. It holds accountable. It does. It deals with the wrong. If you can't deal with the wrong, now, by the way, if I'm first and you're first, and now we're arguing about who's first, what about the wrong? And now it enables us to look at the wrong in a different mindset, doesn't it? Of, yeah, you know what, that was probably foolish on my part to have done. And you would say, yeah, it was foolish on my part to react the way I reacted. Okay, we're good? We're good. All right, not chosen cheese, let's eat, you know. And off you go. You know what restaurant we're going to meet at tomorrow at high noon, don't you? Okay. No, that's what we're dealing with. You see, folks, what forgiveness isn't, isn't bearing the hatchet half in, half out, remember it later. Calling to remember. It isn't that at all. It's saying, you know what? Christ died for me. I know what it is to be forgiven. And I can do it for you. So that we can have some edification together down here. And we can have some peace amongst ourselves. And we can promote. We can make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And we can have a positive impact. That's true forgiveness. That's what Ephesians 4, Colossians 3 is getting at. That's what the walking one toward another is. That's a big component in our life is the issue of forgiveness. Unforgiven issues fester like the splinter in my thumb. That's deep. It's deep. I'm Linda cut a Grand Canyon in there. Still didn't get it out. It festers gets infected, and then one day, what's it going to do? And then the genie's out of the box, and you can't get her back in because now you're, now you're in that emotional trip that you never were designed to be on. So forbearing, forgiving, is a critical component of Paul's love language. As we look at each other, again, knowing we're going to have disagreements, we're going to have beefs, with the little b. And we can work them out when we approach it in the right manner. 
You got two more minutes? Just, just give me this. Look at, look at Second Timothy. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians. Why forgiveness is such a big thing? I'm sorry. I apologize for the, for the Sunday school workers and for the nursery help and for whoever else is next door and online. Look at Second Corinthians two. Second Corinthians two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is told the church at Corinth to kick a guy out from, for unspeakable transaction, uh, tra- uh, transgressions. They refused. And they refused on the basis of we're going to be more gracious than Paul. Look at us. Look at how gracious we are. Well, eventually, they kick him out. The man is turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The man goes, gets everything right gets right with the group at Corinth, gets right with himself, with, with who he is in Christ, grows, and the, ex, the expelling accomplishes the goal. Now the guy is sitting on the door, at the front door, I want to come back in. They won't let him. They won't forgive him. They won't say, come on in. So Paul's got to write him. He wrote him a letter. He says, verse 3, and I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come. I mean, he, he wrote him a letter. And the letter, verse 2, for, uh, well, verse 1, but I b- determined this with myself, that I would not come un- again to you in heaviness, for if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow. Okay, so he writes him a letter. The letter does its job. And it, and, it, and it removed, it made them move to let the forgiven man, to let the man back in. Okay? Now watch verse 6. Watch what was in the letter. Verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. 2-4. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto, y'all, unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me but in part that I may not overcharge you all. See how Paul's like, I don't want to offend you, but if I do, I'm sorry, you know, but it needs to happen. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. Removing from the church. 1 Corinthians 5. Now watch verse 7. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with, with overmuch sorrow. So what were they not letting? They weren't forgiving him. They weren't letting him back in. He's done everything that they asked him to do. He did it all. He's, restored, he's restitutioned everything. They won't let him back in. Now watch what Paul says to them. Paul says, I, you, you need to let him back in. Now watch verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. But if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Notice where the forgiveness lies, in Christ. Now watch verse 11. Here's why forgiveness is so important. Here's why it's so critical in your marriage, in your family, in the local assembly. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan will use the unforgiving to get a what? An advantage. To come in and to disrupt the peace and the harmony. 
that is designed to be in your marriage and in your family and in the local assembly. And how did he do it? Oh, through the issue of not forgiving, being unforgiving. And you know what Paul says? I wrote you a letter. By the way, chapter 7, he deals with it. And we, that's another com- And that letter worked. And it brought around sorrow and godly sorrow and a repentance, a changing of their hearts and their minds toward this guy. And Paul says, if you don't, Satan's going to get an advantage of you. He's going to use it to disrupt the harmony, the security, the safety of the home and of the local assembly. And it's because of you failed to forgive a guy who, by the way, knew he was wrong knew what the wrong was, and then fixed what was asked of him to fix. And what does Satan do? Take, uses it. That's why forgiveness is so important. Okay? All right, been here an hour now. Let's go home. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that we have in your Son, for all that we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. As